Welcome to Bros in Blue, the New York City FC podcast with at least two listeners. I'm Joe in Brooklyn, New York. That is Charlie in Somerville, Massachusetts. Hello. How's it going? Good, man. It's April 17th. It's 8.55 p.m. NYCFC is six or seven games into its 2019 season. Six games, to be precise. And we've only lost once, Joe. And- <laughs> oh, we've only lost. We've only lost one. Yes, yes. That that would be the best possible spin to put on it. Uh, in reality, the team, the team's performance over the beginning of the season has been pretty dire, winning zero games, drawing five, and losing one, and currently sitting in eleventh place in the Eastern Conference with with five points on six matches played, and Charlie. I think last time that we talked, the season had yet to start, um, and we had, we I think we were excited. We had we had hopes, we had dreams, uh, and they've they've been ground down to nothing over the last six games. We're obviously going to talk about the team's performance over those six games, and in particular, I think we'll focus on Saturday's crazy three-three draw with Minnesota United away at Minnesota United's new stadium. Charlie, I think the things that I would like to cover are thoughts on the on the season so far, and in particular, the new signings that have played and yep. the players who are getting more playtime this year and the different roles that players are playing and what we think of that. Then I'd like, I'd like to talk about the, the game against Minnesota United uh, and in particular the Sean Johnson own goal. And then, uh, and then maybe talk about Tarrant and what we think of him and this team right now overall. Uh, what what do you got? Yeah, I think that sounds good. Um, I think we should start with the game against Minnesota because maybe that will lead into some of the other discussions, like how the new signings are doing, how the season's going as a whole, and how Dominic Tarrant is doing. Yeah, so NYCFC away at Minnesota United. Minnesota United... Last year, one of the worst teams in the league. This year, they're this year they're slightly better. They're in, they're in sixth place in the West. They have a much improved team. They acquired some players from from uh, other MLS clubs. They invested in buying Victor Manone, the former Crystal Palace goalkeeper. I thought I, I recognized him, and sure enough, yeah, isn't that crazy? It was it was like when you see when you see an actor in a in a movie that you knew from a different TV show really well. And you're like, wait, like that, you know, what's, what's Frodo doing in this TV show? Yeah. Or whatever. I think the greatest example I can think of is the princess bride princess showing up in house of cards decades later. Oh, that's a crazy one, man. Yeah. She looks so different. I, I I didn't even, but then, but then then you put it together and she looks very similar. Anyway. Yes. I totally agree. It was funny seeing Manone out of context, so to speak. You know, Charlie, this is, we're getting into a huge digression now, but one of uh, my wife's greatest talents is that she's one of the best facial recognizers in TV and movies that I've ever met. And but no name. She, the most, does she get the names? The most, or just the faces? She, she doesn't know the name. Right, she right, doesn't right, usually right. know the name, right. but she just will recognize the person. 
And what the most ridiculous poll, like deep, deep poll that I ever saw of anybody recognizing anybody on TV is we were watching Gremlins, the 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 really bad Christmas movie by Steven Spielberg. There's someone really famous in that though, right? Go ahead. Oh well, there there are famous there are famous actors in lead roles. I think. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, it's an iconic like right. eight, late eighties movie. Right. But there's a scene in there's a scene in a police department where there's a guy who's like an unnamed extra, and he has one line. He answers the phone. He's got he must have three lines in the whole movie, and he's on the screen for about a minute. And Claire recognized that that guy was the same guy who played Mike in the Breaking Bad series. Wow. Like the henchman guy. Wow. And it was there were 30 years or 35 years in between. It was unbelievable. Anyway, um, you can go look it up for yourself. The guy who played Mike in Breaking Bad was a bit a bit cop role in, in Gremlins. Very impressive. Charlie, getting back to to Saturday uh, Saturday's game against Minnesota United hit me with what what were your thoughts on what transpired oh well I think we have to you know it ended in a 3-3 draw um, but maybe we should start before the game even kicked off Joe this was the opening game for Minnesota United's new stadium with the stadium Allianz Field yeah which I'm never gonna get right do you right. think MLS trolled us with that it's gotta be why it's gotta be their first home game against the club that famously can't build a stadium i don't know joe since we joined the league how many stadiums how many teams have opened a new stadium orlando city who joined the league the same time we did atlanta united who joined after we did I mean, they're sharing a stadium, but it was at least, you know, built with them in mind and they sell it out and it's nice for soccer. Um, I think San Jose rebuilt their stadium, or at least it opened since NYCFC um, was, you know, started playing. LAFC started their inaugural season with their own stadium. Yep. Uh, that's all I can think of right now. But but that's, it's not great. It's just not a good look. Um not a good look for NYCFC. It, it, it's quite embarrassing. We've spent enough airtime on it. But let's talk about Allianz Field, which does look pretty nice. You know, congratulations to, to the Minnesota fans um, and the club for they getting built that together. Their, their stadium with the, their grass that they grew in the snow, apparently, because there were mounds of snow at the edge of the field, was 20 times nicer than the grass at Yankee Stadium. I mean, those Minnesotans know how to grow things. That's just... That's how it is. They they play uh, Lake Wobegon on the loudspeakers. That helps the grass grow. Anyway, um, Minnesota, where all where all the blades of grass are above average. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So you know it's good for the league to see a new stadium, but yeah, it hurt a little bit as an NYCFC fan to see that happening. But the the game itself, <clears throat> um, the. Okay, we, we went we got to talk about tactics, right, Joe? We played with with uh, five across the back with wingbacks Macharita and Tinnerholm, and our center backs were uh, Rocha on the left, who has not played much, certainly not as a center back, um, <clears throat> Chino and Sands, and boy is that a mixed bag. Over the course of the game, Sands was incredible. 
Um, it was really my first time kind of paying attention to his game. It was almost flawless. He got called for a foul at the end of the box at one point. That was a foul on him. It wasn't even his fault. And that was probably the worst thing he did all game was get an incorrect call against him. Um, he was great on the ball as well as defensively. Um, I was really impressed. So that was good. Rocha, on the other hand, pretty much looked exposed every, every second that Minnesota attacked. And it didn't help that tactically... We had Maxi lining up on the left wing. We know he's not a left winger. We have like five left wingers in this team, and for some reason Maxi is still lining up on the left wing. But of course he floats inside. And so what that does is it leaves a ton of room on the left wing that I, 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 I don't know if Castellanos, our striker, was supposed to be playing more left or what. But what ended up happening is that Macharita was trying to help on the attack and defensively was having to cover basically the entire left flank. So it meant that Rocha, our least experienced and worst center back of the three, was in the most exposed position on the left. And boy, it really showed. And we did not get away with it. So tactically, I think that was disastrous, basically. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Minnesota United created two goals off attacks coming down that their right flank are left. And in the second half, James Sands, he was supposed to be the middle center back, except he ended up making a lot of his interceptions and defensive plays like all the way out on the left side of the field. He was coming over faster to cut off Minnesota on that side of the field than Mata or Rocha were, and they were supposed to be playing over there. Right. So <clears throat> I don't know what the thought was behind this from, from Toronto. Maybe it was as simple as, this is a real field with normal dimensions, and it's going to be wider than Yankee Stadium field. So we we should prepare for that by by drawing out the back line. Maybe he thought that without Collins in in the team, that we needed three at the back to compensate. But it was just it was a mess. It looked like neither Mata nor Rocha really knew how to play the positions that were they were being asked to play. And without Sands in this game doing everything that he did, it could have been a couple more goals for Minnesota. Yeah, agreed. So should <laughs> on the other on the flip side, this team has had a lot of trouble generating goals over this this season, and a major problem or part of that has been that the team doesn't have a striker or didn't have a striker. The club has since signed the Brazilian striker Eber. Who was he playing in Croatia, Charlie? I think that's right. Yeah. So the club has signed a bear, but he doesn't appear to be match fit yet. He's only made two substitute appearances and not really had a chance to show anything. So the team's playing without a striker, and uh, and and starting Tati Castellanos as the striker, and had just been unable to generate a lot of offense in this game. Tati played well. It's the first game I've seen him play well, and he scored a very nice goal. And um, Tajuri Shradi also scored, also scored two goals, getting back some of the form that he had last year. And he seems to love away games. Like he scores a lot of goals mm. in away games. Well, he's a winger. So I mean, maybe that's a field dimension thing. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I mean, offensively, you go away, you go away, and you score three goals. You should, you score three goals in any game, you should be winning. But especially with how difficult this league is away. That's that's a great that's a golden opportunity sitting right there if your team can score three goals, but we only come away from the game with a point, and the 
to me, the reason, the entire, the, a main reason, and the pivotal moment in the entire game was Sean Johnson's huge howler. Can can you like what? Ha- can you just talk through what happened there? Yeah, <clears throat> this was this is tough to watch. So Afori plays a ball back to Johnson, which is a decent ball. You know, it's hit with some pace, but it's not on goal. It's a it's a fine ball and. Um, <clears throat> Johnson's being pressured somewhat by their Minnesota striker, Rodriguez, I think is his name. And he goes for one of these typical goalkeeper touches. I see these all the time, and they always make me a little bit uncomfortable. But they play the ball with the outside of their foot. So the ball's coming in kind of, let's say, from their left slightly, and they take a touch with the outside of their right foot in order to push the ball uh, kind of to their right so they can kind of get a run-up to, to kick it out. <clears throat> So Johnson goes to do that, and I looked in the replay. I was hoping there was going to be a bobble on this new field, or that the you know something his foot got stuck in the grass or something. But no, he just I don't know if he didn't keep his eye on the ball. He just misjudges it, and he ends up only barely touching the ball with the outside of his right foot and diverting it just right into the near post into the open goal. And uh, yeah, it just it's one of those one one of those mistakes. I don't know. It was unbelievable to watch live. I couldn't believe what I what I had just witnessed. Um, because and, and it came at a terrible time too. Because NYCFC had just had just come back to come back from one zero down to go to go two one up. Right. Right. Um, and or was it was it two two at that point, Charlie? And that was the that was Minnesota's go ahead goal. I thought we were up two one. I'll, I'll check that. Yeah, but in any event, it it wasn't. We had momentum in the game at that point. Definitely. Um, so Charlie, I went I went and looked after this game. I was trying to get a handle. I mean, Sean Johnson he took a not on goal shot and kicked it into our own net. Right. So he created an entire goal for Minnesota and it, out of nothing. It was the go ahead goal, by the way. It put them three two up. Uh, Okay, so it took Minnesota 3-2 up. So I, I tr- just trying to quantify how bad it it actually is for a goalkeeper to 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 take a ball that's not going in the net and turn around and kick it into the net. When it wasn't even in the went, opposition team's possession to begin with, too. I mean, that's worth noting. Right. Right. Um, I went and, and looked up over the course of the 2018 season, what uh, the ranking of all goalkeepers in MLS by goals against uh, minus expected goals against. So in this stat, the first number is the number of goals that are actually scored against you in goal. And then the second number is the total expected goals of all shots that you faced. Uh, And expected goals are computed using average goal scoring uh in it when players on the field are in particular positions so a, a shot from very close in when the defense is scattered or it's one-on-one is going to be a high xg and a shot from far away is going to be a low xg what goals against minus x minus expected goals against does is it measures it measures to some degree how much the defense is affecting shots and 
and doing better than average at putting players off of shots. But but I think primarily it has to measure how well the keeper does to save shots that would be expected to go in right. otherwise. Right. And and in this in this stat, the the more negative the number, the better. You know, for every for every negative for every point of of negative value here, that means you did one entire goal better than the expected average complete middle of the road goalkeeper across the entire data set. So if you look if you look at this list from 2018, what it's showing is that Stefan Fry is is the best keeper in the league at negative 12.96 in goals against minus x goals against. Right, so basically he that, he prevented 13 goals. From right. going in, some combination, some combination of him right. and the Seattle defense right. present prevented prevented thirteen goals from going in that would have gone in for the average team right. and the average right. keeper in that situation. And then if you and and Sean Johnson is about about in the sixtieth percentile in this list at negative point three one goals against minus expected goals against. So. That indicates that Sean Johnson and some amount of the NYCFC defense are better than the average um, keeper in the data set at keeping goals out, but not massively. And the thing that jumps out to me about this list is that is that so is the the amount of parity, which is often the case in MLS. And Sean Johnson is not like a designated player level. Um, goalkeeper but there is a lot of goalkeeper parity in mls and i don't know that there are many goalkeepers who are paid a lot um tim howard is overpaid um but most teams don't spend a dp slot on their goalkeeper nonetheless there's not that much stratification between the keepers certainly towards the middle of the pack i mean sean johnson is at negative 0.31 and then uh there are there are 15 keepers about between him and 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 for example, Tim Howard, who's at point seven one, so there there's a, a lot of bunching. There's a lot of bunching here. So the the my thought here was that if you kick a ball into your own net, the expected goals there were zero. The opposing team didn't even have the ball. So you you add to your goals against, and you don't add to your expected goals against. So that's a huge shift. So it, that shifts you an entire point. Um, across an entire season in this stat. And by that measure, this looks like a terrible error where you have the best keeper in the league at negative 13, basically, and the worst keeper in the league at seven. So like the entire spread across the entire league is is 20. To move one out of 20 on a single error, just it seems really bad. And it seems like it, you know, it can erase dozens of of or even an entire season's worth of good saves. Sure, sure. Um, but so that that that's that's a lot. But that that was my thought, and I went. I'm getting. I'm explaining this because I went to to Reddit and I posted this, and my own brother came into the Reddit thread and crapped on crapped on my theory. Well, my uh, own brother, ju- justifiably so, I would say. Don't worry, there are only two readers, right? We only have two readers on our Reddit posts. Well, Charlie, your your points are your the points that you raised were were valid, but um, do you do you wanna do you want like I, I'm I, I all all I'm looking for here is 
some kind of common ground on the fact that the level of closeness in this stat and the fact that moving by one can move you dramatically in the standings or the percentile that you're in means that this is a, like a season-defining error. Sure. Yeah. So I have a few points. First of all, trying to quantify how bad this error is in order to say how bad it was is silly. You just got to watch the clip and you know how bad it is, right? Um, and it doesn't necessarily apply to Sean Johnson as a goalkeeper. I mean, a defender could theoretically have done this into into Sean Johnson's goal, you know, when a defender was in possession. Just something I'm putting out there. And that would have counted against Sean Johnson's stats. But I think, yeah, in general, over the course of a season, there are just freak things that happen, or even over the course of a career. You know, there could be some time when Sean Johnson is in goal and there's an attacker with an open net and that attacker, for whatever reason, you know, his shoelace isn't tied, you know, they get tied together, I don't know, whatever. He, he just shanks his shot and it hits Sean Johnson in the face and bounces out. And there's, there's, it's a ridiculous, horrible miss. And Sean Johnson would get credit, credited with that save. And he would reflect in the goals against minus expected that's, goals that's against. A fair, that's a fair point. So you, you do benefit from some level of bad finishing on the other side. In this totally, stat. totally. And, you know, this is just a freak thing. And I think that a stat, especially a stat like expected goals, especially when you're averaging over the entire season, this is within the the error bars of that stat. So I know that you're cherry picking this one event and applying it to the stats from all of last season and saying, look how bad this drops him down. But on the other hand, Sean Johnson's game against DC United, he he saved us almost two thirds of a goal based on that same stat in that game alone. So... Um, I'm not really worried about the stats. I think Sean Johnson is a decent keeper. I think he's not great with his feet, which we already knew, but this demonstrates that that can be catastrophic occasionally. Um, and I think it was just a. I still think he's he's a good keeper, and he's and he's probably he could still be a good a good value. Yes. Um, yeah. I just I I guess the thing the thing that makes you wonder is if he if he ever does this again, like is that. Is that enough to say, you know what, we can get we can get a replacement, yeah. a replacement who's gonna be who's gonna make the same saves but just not make the grave errors. Maybe, or you could look at it a different way, which is for all the scouts out there and the club owners looking at the, at these stats, maybe Sean Johnson will be lower down the list, and maybe we can pay him less in future years when we re-sign him on a new contract. And we won't have to worry about yeah. Uh, that, other that's interests. that's true. That that may be a good way to look but at. But in this case, it it cost us it cost us two points, right? I mean, NYCFC should have won this game. Um, we we had a goal uh, taken back because of VAR. Castellanos on a, on a great break. He kind of handled it. Questionable VAR decision to overturn the call on the field. I think it probably was the right call, but I'm not sure it was clear and obvious. But um, you know, kind of back to the game, Joe. I mean. We've been talking a lot about individual players here, right? Rocha, Sean Johnson had bad games. Uh, Sands and Castellanos and Tajiri Shradi had pretty good games, I would say. Tinnerholm was solid as usual. Ring was solid as usual. Afori, not really much to say about him, to be honest with you. I mean, Cheneau, fine. It was an okay performance. I think we're, we're starting to figure out um, some of these new players who we can... Uh, some of the younger players, I should say, or the people being played out of position who we can start to rely on. What's kind of disturbing to me is that 
our own manager doesn't seem to know this going into the game. Um, you know, this is not really the, the first game of the season anymore, right? We brought in Mitritsa, who wasn't playing. Who knows why? Um, he came in as a sub and looked good. Um, Ebert, our I think Matriza had a had a rib injury. Ah, you're right. You're right. He did. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I guess we learned some things about the players, but the, the, just it didn't give me any confidence in the fact that he was trying out a new formation, which kind of seemed ill-conceived. Yeah. Uh, the fact that he changed it at halftime, which was good. He con- he conceded that it was a mistake, but. I mean, Joe. I think we're at the, the point in the show where we talk about Toronto as a, as a whole. Uh, yeah, his, I think there are two there are two questions that are are interesting. Interested for your thoughts on number one. Do you think that we're sitting in eleventh right now? Do you think that's fluky and we're gonna we're gonna jump up and this team is better than that, or do you think that's actually the level of this team, all things considered, including the manager we have? And then point two is, is should Toronto be fired now? So some of this is, you know, some of it is uh, sports psychology and leadership and, you know, how do you get the your players to rally and start picking up their performances when they've been so bad so far? I guess I, I will say, first of all, we've played some good teams. LAFC is going to be the best team in MLS this season, I think. Um, DC United is much better than last year. Toronto, Toronto is much better than last year. But there are a few of these games that totally, are just man. like yeah. the, the Orlando game, that first game of the season, we were up 2-0. We're way, we were a way better team than they were. I know that we brought in some new players, but they, they were way more uh, shuffled in the summer. We should, we should have been way more settled. Um, and we should have won that game. And classic NYCFC fashion, we go up 2-0. And as soon as we take our foot off the gas, we cannot defend. And we end up conceding two goals. Um, and the the other one is is Montreal a tie zero zero at home, which Montreal is not a good team right this year right. And they're traveling, they're traveling across the. Well, I say that, and they're in third place, but they're not a good team. They're they're not going to finish right. in third place. Right. Um. And we're playing at home. We sh- we should you know we should be winning that game, but. But I think your point about the schedule difficulty is a great point. Like, you know, away games are always tough. Um, and we've had we've half of our games right. have been away games so far. Right. And then and then the home game the the the, the we've played three high quality teams in Toronto, LA and, and DC. Now I think Toronto was away, Montreal was at home, wasn't it? Yeah, that's that's right. I mean, just across the board. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, right. So, the, but but Joe, I mean, the, yeah. the strategy in general is win at home, draw away. So we're doing one of those things mostly. We're drawing away, but our home form is really not. It's just not acceptable. So, um, we're we're obviously better than getting fewer than one point a game on average, but combining I mean, the other thing, Charlie. Yeah. Another way to look at it is. Were the Minnesota game for sure was a fluke. Like it was just a fluke game. But didn't our goals if feel we, fluky as well in that game? I don't know. Um, I don't know. Well, I don't. I mean, I, I the the first two were both very well worked goals, and then the third one was from a set piece, which 
um, Tajuri Shradi did a good job of putting right in, on the back post, but that's the type. It, it was the most dangerous type of set piece service into the box, a ball that was sort of at the corner of the penalty area, um, and those those are pretty high, you know, high, high percentage chances. I don't think you can. I don't know if you can call it a fluke, but if you look at if you look at where we are in the table, if we have the two points we should have won in Minnesota, then we're in eighth place and one point off of the playoff spots. So it's still early days, and and I think that fine. But let me your theory. Let me put this in. Yeah. In first of all, one point about the goals in Minnesota. Two of them we can trace directly back to tactical errors by Tehran, specifically what we discussed before with exposing Rocha. Um. The other thing is, before the season, we kind of discussed our expectations. And I think both of us agreed that this was going to be a rougher season than the last few. But we all, we all, you know, we both said, oh, but, you know, we'll still make the playoffs. I mean, at this point, we're talking about, you know, maybe if one of our results had gone differently, we'd be close to the playoff spots. I mean, you know, the, the, the standard of, of expectations on the results for NYCFC has already slipped massively. When Vieira left, we were challenging for the supporters' shield. And uh, I understand that David Villa is gone. That's that's a huge difference, um, which really should not be underestimated. But still, th- this is this is below par. Um, and yeah, so to, Charlie, to your question before, I think Toronto's got to go. Out. I think Toronto's got to go. Yeah. You think he's got to go? Yeah. Well, I I, I agree with you. Um, he also brought in, I, I who was that, that player that he brought in from, uh, Hitafe or that he, Oh, he, he's retired now. Yeah. He came in, basically got sent Amagat. off. Eloy Amagat. Yeah. He got, he came in buddy with Toronto, old guy came in, gets sent off again against Red Bulls and then leaves the club. I mean, that whole thing has left a sour taste in my mouth, but go ahead, Joe. Uh, I, I agree the team is underperforming. I think uh, I think talent-wise, you know, may, maybe we have blinders on and the rest of the league has improved a lot as well. But it seems like it seems like like um, Claudio Reyna is doing his job and we're still recruiting exciting, interesting players to come play for this team. And a lot many of our players, in our starting 11, there's not many players who aren't solidly above average for MLS level. Like you look at our starting lineup, Tinnerholm is a, is great right back for MLS level. Cheneau is a, is a decent center back. Collins is a great center back for MLS level. At left back, we have a little bit of a hole. Maxi is, is still fantastic. Uh, Mitritza looks like a better than average attacking wing player. Ring is one of the better defensive midfielders in the league. Sands can hold his own, at least. Um, we have we have a bit of a hole at striker, but at every, there's a lot of talent in this team, and a lot of resources put into the team, and and what I think is pretty, it seems like pretty decent recruiting, and the the yet the the product on the field has been a lot worse since since Toronto took over. And I don't know, Via leaving is important, but Via missed a lot of games last year. And I do think that the with the addition of Mitritza in particular, this team should have as much should have close to as much attacking power as it did as it did last year. 
Uh, I mean, I think Tati is has proven to be a better a better player and a better contributor than Medina, who was playing a lot last year. So I don't know that the that the difference is is massive. To me, the thing that is so all, all those things suggest that there's something wrong with the manager. And the the other thing, the other problem I have with Tarant is versus Vieira is Vieira was hungry, like Vieira yeah. was ambitious, and he he wanted he's a competitor, and he needed the team to win, wanted the team to win. And I don't care if it's because he wanted to parlay his job into into a better a better appointment elsewhere. Um, he 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 had that drive, and the team played with that with that sort of drive. But you felt you felt like you understood what they what he was about. Um, and and Tarant, uh, you know, he's he's a career manager in Europe, who is a, a much older person, and knows that if he flames out here, he has a job working for Pep again at at Man City. Uh, and I just don't, I don't see like the same sense. He he says the things that he's supposed to say as the manager, but I don't see any of the same sense of of urgency and we need to win this year because it's important for my career. And I think that the that's reflected in how the players are conducting themselves. Totally, yeah, well said. Now, of course, do we I have mean, any idea of who who should replace him? No, I've, I don't know. Yeah, no, no idea. Yeah. I, I, I would like to see. I would like to see any young, um, kind of up and coming sort of. Jason sorta Price. Manager. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, he's he's now established in the MLS scene, but but to me, this seems like a team with a, with a lot of of. Um, this isn't a young team, like a an undisciplined team. This is a team with a lot of leaders in it, a lot of longtime professionals. Like you look at the core of the team, Ring, Maxi, Cheneau, these there are guys on the team who are gonna like Maxi played in Italy for, for ten years. There are a few managers that are gonna have more experience with professional soccer than the players on the team. So I don't feel like we need somebody who's an elder statesman. I feel like we need somebody who's a more of a peer to the players and is gonna um it, you know, it is even if he wants to ultimately move on somewhere else, has some ambition and some 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 youthful energy. Yeah. Agreed. All right, man. Um, the, I I think I think that's we've we've said what there is to to, to say about NYCFC. Is there anything else in the world of soccer or otherwise that is that's worth discussing before we wrap up here? Oh boy! I mean, there were some crazy Champions League games. We got to mention the Premier League race, right, Joe? I mean, you're a Man City fan. Yeah. I'm a Liverpool fan. Uh, it's going to come down to the wire. It's been really entertaining. Um, it's crazy. I'm excited for it's two of the best teams in in European history, at least coming out of England, who who happen to be both playing in the same in the same year. Yeah. Some of the goals that Salah has been scoring recently for Liverpool have just really given me goosebumps in a way that I haven't gotten watching NYCFC this season. I'll put it that way. Um, yeah. Well, you, you, if you go from watching the Premier League on a Saturday morning to watch, watching MLS, you appreciate the, the level of, of skill gap that still exists. Yeah. Some of the things that these, that these guys can do it's just just absurd 
Um, I, I I keep like the, the highlight of the season to me has was um was the chip goal that Messi had. I forget against who, but he he just yeah he takes the ball. It's 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 a brilliant goal. He pu- he puts the ball into the the a complete a, a place where it's it's going to the net from like 19 feet off the ground where there's no there's no human who could possibly save it and it's so nonchalant it's like the the level of skill and lifetime dedication to the craft that you need to have to do that is mind-blowing i think the the quality of mls is a lot better this year by the way you mentioned that earlier um i i think i gotta start watching more of these other teams they like LAFC. I should be watching them more often. Um, but there's some exciting talent. Yeah, well, there for Carlos sure. Vela is is certainly the seems like the hands down for MVP of MLS if things continue this way, leading the league in in um, in all goals and assists stats. I guess yeah, uh, uh, dr- worth we'll, mentioning we'll see, that we'll see um, what happens in. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, the the uh, NWSL. Um, Kicked off uh, the women's league. Uh, just had their first round of games. Um, obviously, good way to see some of the players that have been playing in the World Cup this summer, um, which is exciting. And totally different topic. Joe, you, you got us into the NBA playoffs again um, for the first time in like a decade for me. Um, so that's been that's been kind of a fun little distraction from some of the NYC. Have you been watching tri- the games? Oh, no way. No. But... <laughs> Oh, you should be watching the games. The NBA playoffs is great. It it also they also do something that MLS fails so terribly at, which is that they they do the scheduling brilliantly. Like the first round, the the playoffs start, and the first weekend you get four games on Saturday and four games on Sunday, starting at two thirty and Eastern time and going until mm. like midnight midnight Eastern time. And not, Eastern not on Halloween. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And like that's. That gets you hyped. It's like, okay, the playoffs are here. Like, you know, we're we're seeing games from every series back to back, and they're staggering them so that it all so that you could just sit there and watch the whole thing, and you know there's going to be playoff NBA on. And then when as the games continue, they line them up two or three per night each night over this week. So, you know, I, I and because of the East to West Coast time change, I know I could turn on the TV right now and and pick up on watching an NBA game. Whereas MLS, it's just it's scheduling chaos. Right, they right. don't seem to stagger. They don't seem to stagger the games. The playoffs kind of drip in where they there they have a couple. You know they, they don't they they the playoffs start with with midweek games Tuesday and Thursday, and I don't even think you get you get those those playing games. Um, they, they don't they don't put them they don't put them on one day or like one weekend where it's like the playoffs are here. It's very anticlimactic. Um, Joe, one last, one last thing I guess I'll mention is that, uh, we haven't talked about the U S men's national team in a while, but Greg Burhalter, who coached, uh, Columbus crew for a couple years, um, is now the new national team coach. And he is a, uh, you know, he's known for having uh, a pretty solid philosophy, uh, you know, a system that he sticks to, he likes Jossie Zardes up top. But, you know, I think we should keep an eye out for um, just keep tabs on NYCFC players, um, U.S. Nationals that get called up um, that he might be interested in. So Sean Johnson's already played in one of the friendlies. 
Um, I don't think he's a first or second choice keeper, but he, he could be fighting for the third place on a roster. Um, I think Ben Sweat also played under Greg Berhalter, or maybe he, he got he got a, a call up. I, I think a, yep. probably a token call up. And uh, I believe that Keaton Parks, James Sands, um, you know, have at least been looked at um, scouting wise. It, you know, maybe they played some games for some of the U U eighteens or something for the U.S. I I don't actually remember, but they're U.S. internationals as well. Um, I think Keaton Parks especially is you know. Uh, has shown a lot of promise um, as, as a potential talent uh, to be developed at NYCFC. So I think that's a, a Although cool he can't thing. Get, he can't get on the field right now, but... Well, you know, he's pretty young, so I don't think that's too surprising. Um, yeah. But yeah, just, just something to, you know, a, a, a new narrative to consider while we struggle at the bottom of the Eastern Conference. <laughs> All right, man. Well, next time we record, uh, my prediction is that let's let's just let's conclude with a nice yeah that's a good uh, idea a nice prediction so the question is where do you think nycfc is going to be in the eastern conference standings next time we record <laughs> you you would you have to kind of there's two questions there when will we record next because that's <laughs> highly uncertain and also how the team is going to do so right now we're in 11th and i think we'll see who's closer i think that we're going to be in seventh next time we record um, gosh, I mean, the table's so tight this early in the season, but I'm a little more skeptical than you, so I'll say ninth. All right, man. I, I think that NYCFC is going to hold on to Toronto for too long, um, and I think that's going to hold us back. But that's it for now. Joe, that was really fun talking about, uh, really, for the first time in recording this podcast, kind of talking about a dud season so far. We really had a, a few good ones. Um, this will make us appreciate them more. But uh, that was fun. That's it from us. Uh, this is Charlie for Joe saying Forza NYCFC.